How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Oh, that is so rewarding, Mark. We're Every having some fun time. with that, aren't we? Every time. And you know, if people know what I'm about to say, but my oxytocin levels just go way up. Boop. Whenever you say that, remember that cuddle hormone, the hormone of trust, it is the most wonderful thing. Now, we've got a lot of folks in the studio tonight as well. We do. Uh, because we have a, this is, this is a really important topic. I think so. Yeah, we're talking about Alzheimer's tonight. We are. And I don't know if there are any people out there listening who may have been touched by this. You know, there may be people who are working with families, working with other people who are involved in this. This has touched so many people. It has. It's touched my personal family, my wife's family. So so let me introduce uh, our guest. I'm going to start with one of them, and then Mark's going to take over from yes. here. So I'd like to first introduce uh, Dr. Don Marks, who is a neurologist from Marshall, but also is practicing in Plymouth and also is Pretty, pretty big up at uh, Beth Israel Deaconess Plymouth now, right? Uh, yes, I suppose you could say yes, that. Yes, I, I do say that. And you've been doing a lot of work on Alzheimer's research and stuff, so we are so looking forward to hearing the latest stuff. Uh, so, folks, we have medical questions as well. So we have Don, but we also have Bradley. Yes. Do you want to give your last name? Sure, it's Bradley Galenick. And you are doing... I work for a visiting nurse Medicare agency called Care Tenders Home Care. Yeah. And and one of the most important things I think is trying to keep people in their homes for as long as possible. Absolutely. You know, because that that familiarity will get into that. But sometimes when you cannot stay in the home, you have to find a beautiful place to go to that understands this and has the nurturing so that you can manage and so your family manage and here's our other guest introduce yourself hi i'm colleen everett and i'm the director of community relations for bridges by epic in pembroke and what is bridges bridges is a highly specialized all memory care assisted living wow yeah so is is that a relatively new kind of program all memory care well it is unique um, some assisted livings have independent living and assisted living, and in the case of Bridges, we're all memory care. So that just means we do a terrific job for folks who have memory loss in their families. Hmm. That is great. It's it is. a specialty, right? It's a niche, so they, they can deliver the best service possible, and they're right down the street from us right here. Right down the street yeah. from us here in Marshfield, because right. there are people listening. Well, there's people listening in China exactly. to our show, obviously. Yes, there are. So from Marshfield. Yep. So I'd like to know uh, a few things about this, and I guess I'll put, open it up to the the good doctor. But uh, for our listeners, what what exactly is Alzheimer's? That's a good question that remains <laughs> not fully answered. Right. But uh, it was named after a fellow named Alzheimer who died about a hundred 
10 years ago. Okay. And he described the pathology in a woman that he took care of. This was back in the days when people mostly observed, could, didn't do much in terms of the basic science. Uh, there's criteria based on the pathology that you see when you look at the brain of someone who's died with this disease. So it's a defined disease in that sense. It varies widely in terms of the symptoms, in terms of the severity, in terms of the parts of the brain that are affected. There's a lot of contention still over what the fundamental mechanism is. The current prevailing opinion is that an abnormal collection of a normally produced protein in the brain called beta amyloid increases in an odd form, and that has downstream effects in terms of the destruction of the brain cells. So a lot of the current research is garnered towards trying to either reduce the amount of amyloid or get rid of the amyloid that's already been there. Now, it may be that we're uh, taking care of the uh, tombstones after the person's in the grave and that mm -hmm. it may not actually be a good strategy, but that's being widely tested in the clinical trials. There are other approaches to dealing with the research, and we can get into that if you'd like. One point sure. I would like to make, though, which is commonly misconceived, is dementia and Alzheimer's are not the same yeah, thing. Yeah, really? that was my follow-up question, actually. I'm glad you... Uh, brought that up. It's my second rodeo. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> you can have Alzheimer's without having dementia, and you can have dementia without having Alzheimer's. Let me gotcha. give you more detail on that. Dementia simply is a functional state where you lack the capacity to maintain your autonomy in this world, your ability to uh, function in your previous activity, uh, and it can be caused by a variety of things. Alzheimer's is by far and away the most common cause in the U.S., probably 75% uh, roughly. Uh, there are other causes. You can get it from advanced Parkinson's, from multiple strokes, frontotemporal dementia, whole, whole long list of things. You can have Alzheimer's disease probably begins with the abnormal protein deposition 10 to 20 years before you have any symptoms. Then you may have a 1 to 10 year, quite variable period of mild cognitive impairment where you are not normal, but you are still able to maintain your independence more or less. There's a little bit of wiggle room there. You might need some help with your finances, for example. Yeah. And then you progress to a point of dementia. Now, so you can have the Alzheimer's process going on for 20, 25 years before you have the dementia stage of Alzheimer's. Gotcha. Conversely, you can have dementia from other diseases, as I alluded to, say if you have advanced Parkinson's disease. So is Alzheimer's then only diagnosable after death? Is that what you mean that by the tombstones and you take a look at what's been going on in the brain? That also was a great question, Joe. I would <laughs> say that uh, times are changing on this. Okay. Uh, it used to be stated the only definitive diagnosis was after you didn't need your brain anymore and some people looked at it. That's strictly speaking true, but for all practical purposes, really not true so much anymore. Okay. Uh, we now have uh, what are called amyloid PET scans, which is a way of putting a nuclear medicine tag, uh, uh, it's a radioisotope, uh, onto a substance you inject, and it finds the amyloid in the brain, and then uh, you can take a picture of it. For, the, for those who don't know, it does not mean that we are taking a picture of your pet. Okay, this is not a PET scan of your pet. That's this right. Is, but it is a PET scan. But it is a PET scan. It's always important to know. A lot this of people true. who knows that, right? This is true. Can we just back up? What is an amyloid? Amyloid is an abnormal. It's a protein that's involved normally in brain function. Okay. Uh, it, 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 there's some debate over what its true use is, but amyloid is probably involved in formation of some of the cell membranes and uh, yeah, that are involved as we form memories and add little projections on the neurons. The problem is, is when you get too much of it, 
it starts doing bad things. Got and it. when you have certain forms of it that are different than the normal form, that it does bad things. So they don't really know why someone would have more amyloid than others? or Well, we do know, for example, that if you have Down syndrome, you have uh. three chromosome 21s, that most of those people will get Alzheimer's if they live long enough. Right. And that's because the amyloid precursor protein, I'm sorry to get too technical no, here, okay. but the the, there's three copies of it in people who have Down syndrome, so they're more likely to make more of it in their life. There are also rare genetic forms. It was on 60 Minutes uh, in the country of Colombia, where these people have a tendency to form huge amounts of amyloid uh, at a very young age, and they get Alzheimer's within three years by the time they're 44. Did they figure out what the connection was there? That's how they originally came up with the amyloid hypothesis as they looked at the brains of people who had that, and that's how identify, they identified amyloid. Amyloid um, is just a, a term for uh, a certain staining of, of, of this that you see in the brain tissue. There's nothing particularly unusual about that. Uh, and what they discovered when they looked at the brains of people who died of these rare familial forms is that they were able to tease apart the amyloid and figure out exactly what it was, what the plaques were, that they were made of amyloid. So, so just, just to sort of back up for a moment, um, brain cells, just like all cells, have proteins in them, and the proteins are, in essence, the machinery and building of the cell. So cells need protein types to get rid of the garbage in the cell. They need other proteins to help make the food for the cell. So, so protein is a very, very broad term for the absolutely most essential parts, if you will, of different cells and brain cells are no different so really is it fair to say that that in some ways the the brain cell is getting full of this amyloid which is just sort of prohibiting other things to work or is it interfering with the way the brain cells are talking with each other I mean what what's actually do we know about the mechanism what's happening well when the amyloid forms group Think of it as a single protein molecule, a single copy of that protein. When they glom together in 6 to 20, then they can cause some gumming up of the transmission between the nerve cells, the communication between the nerve cells that is the basis for our thought processing. Uh, however, the big question is that the amyloid itself is a marker of the disease. It is not probably the immediate cause of the right. disease. It's the difference between a trigger and a bullet. Yep. And if anything... The current prevailing wisdom is that, based on a lot of data, is that the amyloid acts as a trigger, but it is not the bullet. Hmm. That gets into other things, which we could talk about, but one of them is tau protein. Which we can talk about. But then, what do we see? We see, I mean, for folks out there who have people in their lives with Alzheimer's or dementia, because I think we, could, we should broaden this out to to really, you know, this this time in a life where some people begin to forget things. There's a difference, though, right, between being forgetful. Everybody forgets things. But how do we then, where's the threshold? And I just want to come back to, to Dr. Marsh just for, for one couple more minutes to talk about the threshold, and then let's talk about how we, we help people and how we keep them at home. And we're going to go to Bradley for that. So is there a threshold? What was the question? Thank you. <laughs> That's the threshold. <laughs> and, you know... I have been told that I am not allowed to make any of these. None. 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 We so, don't have the seven-second right. delay either. So I'm sorry. I forgot what you said. Oh, here we go. Go ahead. Right. Right. Well, you know, you have to have a sense of humor. Actually, some of the folks I saw today were wildly funny. Uh, one of my patients today, is, as, I, as they left, I said, it was nice to see you again. And she said, it was nice to be seen. <laughs> right. Very good. I get it. 
as opposed to being viewed. Right. So that's right. That was the comment. I had not heard that before. It's a good one. But anyway, um, normal aging is not. There's not so much difficulty with short-term memory in the way that we're talking about. And one of the things that I find challenging, and most of my colleagues do, is trying to disavow the notion that a certain amount of forgetfulness is normal. It's not. It's a common disease. Mm. It's not normal for a six-year-old to have an ear infection. It's just very common. Mm. And we confuse high prevalence of a disease, any disease, with it being quote-unquote normal. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. Cause, but but there's sometimes it is just difficult to retrieve a memory, right? Or, or that's we, true. We make a mistake but or... I think that uh, I, I guess I push back on that a little bit. And okay. that the, the problem is not with people uh, overstating that they have problems. It's the fact that they tend to minimize it. Mm. And there are things we can do if you don't minimize it. And particularly in the research area, the research is all being pushed back to treating it earlier and earlier. And you deprive yourself of that opportunity if you hang out in the land of denial for too long. And as one of, you know, as I say in psychiatry, denial is not just a river in Egypt. So did Robin Williams. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, so uh, so we, I think we're going to come back, if it's okay with folks, to the latest stuff at the end of the show. Because sure. I think... I think there's hope. But now, let's say we've we progressed to a point where somebody has been diagnosed. Uh, rather, why do we want to keep them in the home? Because that's what you do. You're a visiting nurse. You go to the homes. That is correct. Uh, as a certified Medicare agency, we follow the direction of Dr. Marks here in terms of what his recommendations are for medications. Uh, we follow his directions in terms of physical and occupational therapy. But also, I actually want to just turn, if you don't mind, mm -hmm. <clears throat> let's talk about a little bit of what Dr. Marks just said and alluded to that little bit of that middle stage, that mild cognitive impairment side. Okay. Because that's a very, <clears throat> I'm going through it with a family member myself in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, understanding that you know, the forgetfulness is one thing. Uh, Dr. Marks did say something that you may need some help with your banking. You may need some help doing some minor chores around the house. So, Dr. Marks, what is kind of like that from a neurologist's point of view as you're getting that referral from the primary care doctor to actually see this patient, this loved one, and kind of sort of look at is it mild cognitive impairment? Is it early? Is it too late? I'm sorry, just no, staring I off the great. conversation, but this whole mild, mild cognitive impairment, right. I think probably a lot of people listening probably has or is dealing with this type of situation. Yeah. First of all, it's well recognized that at least half the people who are in assisted living in the United States and maybe a quarter who are in uh, independent living environments and older age group sort of situations um, have Alzheimer's already. They just have mild cognitive impairment. It's extremely common. Uh, but, but, but before before we go on, I mean, that's a very technical term, mild cognitive impairment. So what, is that, what does that really mean? It I mean, means I that you're not normal. Means, but you're, it's, you're not normal, but you're not demented yet. Dementia, okay. as I told you earlier, means that you have lost the capacity to maintain your autonomy and your usual activities in okay. life. So mild cognitive impairment, is, is your thinking is a little bit off? In 
there's different subsets, but right. the, the most common one is what we call amnestic mild cognitive impairment, which means that your memory is affected. Your memory is affected. There are other forms where it may be your language function or your ability to navigate your visual spatial function, as we would say. Depends on what part of your brain is affected. The most common one is the memory. Mm-hmm. And there are various diagnostic criteria we use to look at this. Uh, we speak. We spend time with the individual, some standardized tests that we do. Sometimes you get neuropsychologic testing, which is more in-depth. Uh, I typically don't use that except when I'm concerned where there may, be, there may be other things going on, like, say, severe depression or anxiety or something else. We look at MRI scans at the, in Plymouth because of my interest in that. Uh, of the radiologists, we uh, do specific types of um, analysis of a brain MRI scan, a scan of your brain. Uh, that allow us to uh, help make it a determination whether it's more or less likely that you have Alzheimer's pathology. Now we have these more advanced tests, like I mentioned, an amyloid PET scan. So you can have a positive amyloid PET while you have mild cognitive impairment even before. We're embarking now on finding people who have evidence for Alzheimer's, but I'll talk about that later, but uh, who don't yet have any symptoms. And I would assume that the the earlier you can detect this, the greater chance there is i mean i think let's we can get into treatment that's the $64,000 question we have symptomatic treatments which help make your quality of life better right but don't change the course of the disease itself right we're working in the research areas on things that will actually modify the disease so you don't get to a, a bad point as quickly they're but, quite different but again I, I, to go back also to the point it's it's so important folks if you're out there to not be afraid of this because the earlier you get testing. If you think there may be something going on with you or your family member, there are places to go to get help and to get testing. Don't, as, as you know, don't be in denial about this, because there may be stuff we can do. So, Brad, let's get back to this. We're now, you know, we we, we are we beyond the mild cognitive impairment stage when somebody needs a VNA? Not at all. No. Great question. I mean, I'm go again. I'm just going back to Dr. Marks on this. We are the eyes and ears for the doctors, and never mind the neurologist who's a specialist, but the primary care doctor. So as the clinical nurse is going into the loved one's home and doing an evaluation, taking a look at a med reconciliation, having a physical and occupational and speech therapist go in and do an evaluation, they can derive clinically to an actual standardized testing that they can report back to the doctor, the primary, report back to the family, and also make a little bit of recommendations to the primary, and the primary can see that patient and make recommendations to a neurologist such as Dr. Marks. So the beginning steps, it's more or less, as the visiting nurse agencies, we're the eyes and ears for the patient, eyes and ears for the family, and eyes and ears for the doctors and all involved. So so what's the theory behind trying to keep the person home as long as possible. If it's that d- debilitating and stressful on the entire family, then wh- what? Why? Why is the goal not to get them with a special care facility such as? Bridges? Great question. I mean, a lot of people. I go back to the the Oz, the movie Oz, <laughs> oh, yeah. when Dorothy clicked her heels three times and said, "There's no place like home. There's no place like home." Yeah. So people want to be at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a fundamental and a safe reason where a family member can live at home with supported services, with the actual caregiver. It could be the spouse. It could be the kids. 
Uh, but it comes to a question where that person is not safe at home. And if that patient or person, excuse me, that loved one is sitting at home watching or staring at a TV screen 12, 15, 20 hours a day, there could be a little bit more social interaction where they can go out to, um, example, Marshfield Senior Center, mm -hmm. uh, local senior centers around town. Um, there's great topics that Dr. Marks, along with other supported services, you know, such as the Epic and Bridges and Pembroke, offer free educational topics about dementia, caregiver, burnout. So there's a lot of resources, but again, it's the right step that a visiting nurse agency, and I mentioned, forgot to mention one important thing, is the clinical social work. The clinical social worker is there to piece all those social aspects, like I just named, uh, the community resources, National Alzheimer's Association, uh, supported services around the town, that the town is embracing together to keep that person safe at home. Mark, when you get to a point where the person is unsafe at home, who is wandering by themselves, um, they are a, a risk for right. themselves or senior at risk, that's when it gets somewhat problematic. So you want to get ahead of it before you're getting that phone call at the office or at work saying this is the local police department saying we found your loved one the next town or two away. Or, or I'm sure we've all heard on the radio, you know, messages, you know, please look out for so-and-so who is, you know, 78-year-old person wandering around because a silver alert. That's what it is, a silver alert. Yeah. Right. So how do people access VNA services? It's a very broad stroke in terms of what home care. It's considered VNA, um, Visiting Nurse Association is the kind of like the full. Uh, you pretty much, you can start with your primary care. Most of your primary care doctors and or specialists are there to make the referral or make recommendations to a home care visiting nurse agency. And, and does insurance cover this? Great most question. Health, health insurance? Uh, most all uh, visiting nurse agencies accept insurances. They do. Um, it can be from a managed care to your Medicare or your even your MassHealth benefits. So it's a matter of reaching out to your provider, mm -hmm. whoever the provider may be, meaning your insurance, then going to your doctor and saying, as the patient and or as the family member, I need help. Mm. And that should trigger a referral to a home care agency. That's great. So Colleen, now we, we've got a person who unfortunately cannot be maintained in the house anymore for various reasons, maybe it's safety, but I'm sure, well, I'd like to think that sometimes people can come into your program before it's it's at that critical moment. Is that fair to say or? Um, it's, it's possible, it's possible and um you know, Alzheimer's and dementia is a progressive disease. So there's no question that at times, you know, care tenders or a home care agency is the way to go. But, um, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia is, is called the caregiver disease. Hmm. So nine times out of 10, um, it's that caregiver that gets run down, can be sick, can even pass before the loved one with the memory impairment. So um, that's really, uh, can be a big trigger because no one can take care of an ill person 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right, and there's 
caregiver burnout is one of the phrases. Absolutely, absolutely. And is there guilt? Uh, well, of course there's guilt. Um, you know, no one wakes up and says, you know, oh, I'm going to be thrilled. I'm going to put my loved one in a, you know, senior living community because I can't take care of them anymore. I mean, there's failure associated with that. And, right. You know, um, so, but, but, you know, it's, uh, I've been in this career for over 10 years and doctors and nurses and, you know, very experienced health care professionals can't, no one can do 24 hours a day and no. seven days a week. So. so at what point do you normally see families coming to you saying, is, is it just different with every family depending on what their situation is and who's available to caregive? Obviously, if there's a child that's the caregiver and they have to work, it becomes even more stressful in that scenario. Well, yes, and every situation is unique. Um, they say if you know one person with Alzheimer's in dementia, then you simply know just one person with Alzheimer's mm, and dementia. Um, every family's different, every individual is different. Um, but uh, generally, as, as Bradley mentioned, when a um, loved one is wandering, I mean, that is certainly something to be uh, very concerned about. Um, and then if they just have a lot of trouble getting through the day, they're not eating, they're not sleeping, um, they're agitated, um, behaviors can be associated. Um, uh, but once again, um, I, th I think we really do see that caregiver burnout, you know, by the time a Bridges by Epic comes into the picture. Hmm. So do we see a lot of personality changes per se in the, in the patient, doctor, when the the the, uh, the disease starts to really get worse yes and no yeah uh, and you can see all kinds of odd situations somebody who is a very difficult human being their entire life suddenly becomes sweet which can drive the family nuts if they had to deal with it all their life and now why is he sweet <laughs> and vice versa and vice versa where you yeah. have uh, you know someone who was very nice and suddenly they're swearing like a sailor yeah not to take any shots at sailors but right yeah <laughs> But, as uh, the saying goes. There's a question in the back room. We got a question from the background. Come on in. Come on up and, and introduce Paul. yourself. Paul McRae from Styles Law. I've known Bradley a very long time and uh, luckily enough to meet uh, Colleen through Bradley as well. But uh, I wanted to find out what separates a memory care facility specific for memory care from a nursing home or any other type of assisted living care facility because I think a lot of people out there when they hear assisted living or um, nursing home, they think more of like a hospital type atmosphere. Right. And I know I did that when um, I was exposed to it myself recently as well. But what really separates a, a specific memory care facility from what people might think of as a nursing home? Colleen, you want to manage that one? Well, um, we're not a medical model. We are a social model. Uh, that being said, we also have 24-hour nursing uh, at Bridges by Epic. Um, however, our approach is very different from a nursing home or a hospital. Um, we're so specialized in memory care that we're not concerned with task-oriented things. Um, we're sort of giving 24-hour care, um, reminding, redirecting, and it's a very different kind of care. We have to have eyes on our residents 24 hours a day, and we do an excellent job at that. Um, but we 
um, are in assisted living. And um, that's also part hospitality. Our buildings are just beautiful. Um, they present like a, a club or just, you know, a lovely place to spend time. Our dining is wonderful. And our programming is essential to our, to our community. Um, folks with dementia or memory loss um, need to be busy. Busy people are happy people, and uh, that's our approach. Um, uh, we have residents at Bridges and Pembroke that go to the Fine Arts Museum and run into the mayor of Boston, who go out to the movies. We have a bowling team. Um, we have a group, um, as Dr. Marks mentioned, you know, that are sort of earlier in their disease process, but still need to be with us at Bridges. Um, so. Um, that's the social model part of it. Hmm. Um, it's, it's a very different approach than a nursing home or a, a hospital would take on folks with um, Alzheimer's or dementia. Which I would imagine would make it a lot easier on the family delivering their loved one to you to know that this is, this is a really, really great place. Well, um, yes, and, and um, as was mentioned, it's a family affair. Right. So we're there to support the family, you know, um, from from the beginning, even before or perhaps even if they never move into a Bridges. Uh, we offer support groups. Um, we offer education. Um, quite honestly, we're here in Pembroke to um, to be a community resource um, for folks that are struggling with this or struggling uh, caring for a loved one or struggling with uh, wondering what's going on with themselves. So... Um, so, Doctor, we, we hear the term early stages Alzheimer's. You know, my question was going to be what, what, what's the average age or the mean age or the typical uh, patient that you see? What, what, what would be the typical age, but also what is the early stages typical age? Bradley, did you have some comment there? You look like you were. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Dr. Marks. Thank you. Uh, to answer, actually, uh, Paul McRae's question and to follow up Colleen's question, Colleen did say it's a social model here at Bridges and with all the most of the assisted livings in this Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and that's where the communities do partner up with the physicians along with the visiting nurse agencies across the uh, Massachusetts to do the medical piece. So, Paul, you know, in terms of a patient with uh, a diagnosed with dementia, maybe you know a medical compromised or problematic with medications the visiting nurse agencies are there to help with the wellness team at the assisted livings to manage those medications along with looking at cognitive side of the balance and stability and gait of that patient so therefore falls is a major problem within not just assisted livings but in general so it's a multiple prong approach within the assisted livings collaborating with the physicians along with the visiting nurse agencies to care for the loved ones and also to give education to the families so when they do come into a beautiful building like epic and they see their loved one being happy cared for doing activities but also the clinical piece that you do have the visiting nurse along with the therapists doing the medical piece so, 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 me, Dr. so, wait, so before we get to that, sorry, Mark, but it's all right. so, so, so the visiting nurse comes to a place like Bridges as well, 
Is that right, or Bridges has their own nursing staff? We have our own nursing staff, um, but there are certain things by our state regulations um, that, that we can't do because we are the social model and we're not a nursing home. So, uh, uh, you know, a place like Care Tenders um, can come in and supplement that, can supplement what our nursing staff does. I mean, you know, the, a nursing home, unfortunately, I think it has a stigma attached sure, to it, definitely. right? And it, and it is this, you know, I think people have an image of it as hospital beds that are, you know, full of people who are thrashing around. And, Nurse ratchet. And, right, and being restrained. So, uh, or so, ignored. Or ignored, right. even worse, ignored, or certainly devalued, certainly not seen with, not treated with respect and value. So... I mean, I'm just curious, I mean, because I, I do a lot of inpatient psychiatry, which is with, with adolescents and adults, but it's not, it's not about dementia, but it certainly is about, you know, definitely behavioral and cognitive difficulties that are sometimes manifesting in depression, but also sometimes manifesting in people, you know, banging their heads against the wall or, you know, punching holes in walls. So I, I just want to be sure that I... That I Bridges is is not like people don't think of it as a place where there are how how many residents do you have at Bridges? Um, uh, we have fifty four residents. We're we're approaching fifty four residents. Right, so fifty four residents, but but oh, they're not. Max. That's it. That's that's the max. Right. And you and you've been there for how long? Uh, we opened four months ago. Wow. I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty impressive. But it's also so demoralizing in some ways that right. there's such a need for that. But but it's not a whole 54 people sort of thrashing around, you know, being disruptive, right? I mean, No, no. We have uh, very happy residents. We have, uh, obviously, we have a brand new, um, gorgeous uh, community in Pembroke that was purpose-built for folks with memory loss. And quite honestly, um, um, if anyone is uh, interested, um, call us. We'd love to have you actually experience the community. Yes, how, so how would they get in touch with, with Bridges, Colleen? Um, well, you can call me, and our number is 781-754-4500. Uh, and as I said, I mean, I'd be happy to meet with a family, whether it's time for them to make a choice like Bridges or not. If you just need um, a good community resource, um, that's that's why we're here in Pembroke. So, so give us that number again. And is there a website attached to it as well? Bridges by Epic. And when you go on the Bridges by Epic website, you can click to Pembroke. Or we have uh, eight communities uh, between Massachusetts and Connecticut. And we're building number eight and nine in Massachusetts. But the number is 781-754-4500. And it's for families also who are just wondering whether they need that service, or is that something that we first go to Dr. Marks for to determine if they need that service? I mean, at Bridges, we're always happy to be a professional resource. Um, whether we say, well, you should see a neurologist, or that you first should try out some home care, or perhaps an adult day program. Um, it is a process. It's not going to be a straight line, and I, I refer to the right care at the right time. But we, ha we haven't even gone to that part where what is it like for the yeah. person to come into a room that with a person that they love, that they've known their whole lives, and 
they say, who are you? Right. Oh, just, like, I just, you know, it is so devastating because, you know, who are we as human beings? We we want to be valued and it, it cuts right through us, doesn't it? When we, we're not recognized by a person that we expect to value us. Right. And remember, it's not about them. It's not about you. You haven't lost your value, but you, the fact that you can appreciate the sadness of it in some ways reflects the connection that you have. And that's not a bad thing to have those connections. Right. You know? And how, how does the patient actually feel? Is there, a, is there a, a, a knowledge of what's happening as it's happening or as it gets really bad? Is, do they at least lose the, um, the knowledge of what's actually happening and that it, it, it becomes relieving or is it stressful the whole way through? Typically, at some point in the disease, the self-awareness goes away, okay. which makes it much easier on them and much easier on the families in some ways and harder in others. But it's taken a while, and most people have had time to adjust by then. Is it usually about the same time as what Dr. Joe's referring to? It varies. I have other people. I saw a lady today at a facility who, uh, or we discussed a person who has, is totally clueless as to their deficit and angry any time there's even a vague reference to the fact that there might be a problem. Interesting. Uh, it's called cognitive agnosognosia, not knowing that you don't know. Yeah. Uh, and um, it can be very bedeviling. It's when their frontal lobes are affected in particular. And okay. so they are just clueless and they can be very difficult to manage. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just want to go back to something okay. because it gets to your point of how we handle these people. And I think we need to be honest about certain things. I cure nobody. I treat yeah. people. I help them to get through it. I make their lives less desperate, hopefully. I give them time to adjust. We give them medications to treat their symptoms that buy them a little bit better time than they would have without it. And I encourage them if they have very early disease because we're focusing on that population now to get into clinical trials. Assisted living, I've been handling um, a number of memory care dis uh, units in the, in the region for 20 years now. It's not a new concept. Epic's has, Epic has a particularly good model that's very focused on that. A lot of other places start you when you're independent, go through assisted living and then to memory disorders. There's right. pros and cons to all of these. The other is that I've had a longstanding challenge here in dealing with assisted living environments of which memory care is a type of assisted living because it's a hotelier residential model. It's a medical disease. You can call it what you want, but it is what it is. And it creates some challenges in terms of trying to simple things like if you're in one of these facilities and you feel like eating ad lib someone will say well you paid a lot of money to be in these you can eat what you want and i see obesity as being a major problem that occurs these people cannot monitor themselves they don't remember that they just ate lunch so they eat it two or three times so it's a real problem and if you take a very strict hotelier model then it's hands off which mm -hmm. is problematic but uh you know it is a medical disease at the heart of it uh and it's it's a um, uh, as far as helping people what you were alluding to Joe in terms of the sadness of it, it's a slow death. It's a grieving process that goes on over a decade. And and there are a number of books. There's a book called Learning to Speak Alzheimer's, which can be very useful. Uh, uh, people need to learn to go to the affect, to the emotion of what someone's saying, and not what their literal words are. So right. if somebody says, who has this disease, where's my mother? You don't say, honey, don't you remember she died right. 10 years ago? Yeah. Number one, they don't remember. And number That's two, right. you just make them grieve all over again. Right. So you use what I call emotional judo, which is basically, well, she's not here right now. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, well, where is she? When's she coming back? I'm not sure. You never lie, but you dissuade. Right. 
And then if all fails, then you say, you remember that time your mom and you and I went to this beautiful place and you're off to the races? And I'll explain this to patients, uh, actually to the caregivers, and, and I'll say, you just asked her something. Well, don't you remember something from last week? And mm-hmm. you realize the absurdity of the question, and we're going to teach you to, to do this other thing because it's going to make it much easier on both of you. It's hard. It's sad. It, it represents a true loss. Yeah, it does. We have a caller, Charlie from Stoughton. You're on the air. Welcome to the Dr. Yes, Joe Show. Yes, Dr. Joe, this is Charlie. Um, I just want to say some real quick things. I went through this, and uh, the doctor is correct. Um, the uh, understanding how to basically get someone on a different track and also think of positive things is an art form. You have to learn it. It is a science. Uh, and you're right, the uh, the assisted living is the hotel concept, and uh, they won't leave the light on for you, you know what I mean? Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a progression, and it's what's happening. I just wanted to give some people, um, and Bridges, the Bridges rep is there, correct? Yes. Yeah, Colleen is here. Okay. Um, are you, I'm assuming that you're basically approved for VA patients, is that correct? Oh, yes, we are veterans uh the most underutilized veteran benefit which is actually a pension which you're familiar with but many of the hearers aren't is called aid and attendance write that down we are blessed in massachusetts to have a veteran service officer in every city full-time over twelve thousand, and at least somebody covering all the 351 towns that's a place to start if you want to start locally uh, there is qualification and stuff like that. There are groups that will do it for you. Just write that down, aid in attendance, and research it because my mother and father, because my mother was still living, basically got a pension, would, would, would rate a pension of $1,400. And that is very important for the, the other things like caregivers and things like that. Plus the VA will also provide different, uh, you know, services uh, for the family and caretakers and things like that. So there's a whole wealth of information. Just go look at we're in the number one vet-friendly state. But I'd like uh, you to comment about, are you familiar with that program? Um, eight in attendance, I certainly am, and it is a wonderful program, and quite honestly, veterans aren't aware of it until mm-hmm. they walk into an assisted living community generally, um, it, and yeah, it yeah. can add up to quite a bit of money monthly, um, and what happens is the VA will pay from the very first day that someone moves into an assisted living community. Um, Even if they get approved months down the road, uh, they pay retroactively right back to the first day. Charlie, that that is such important information. I'm I'm definitely going to pass it on to Greg uh, in the veteran's voice. Uh, Maybe Uh he's already spoken about it, but we absolutely are going to pass it on. Mark, did you have something that you wanted to add to that? So, Charlie, thanks so much for calling in, and, and keep listening to the Dr. Joe Show. Really appreciate the call. Um, Dr. Marks, let's go back for a moment to um, to some of the latest stuff. So what what's going on? We've got a few minutes left. I know that there's a you know days and days worth of information, but tell us what's going on. Stuff, does stuff get released today even, or where are things at? Well, Pfizer just within the last month has announced that they're pulling out of all research in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Oh my goodness! Because uh, they're not having any luck. That's their statement. Yes. Wow. Um, I think it's maybe more complicated, and I don't want to waste the time talking yeah. about okay. that. But um, they're not the only people looking, and other people feel differently about it. But it's been disappointing so far because we started using the drugs and research 
later in the disease as you typically do. If, if you use a new drug in cancer, you don't use it on people with mild cancer. You use it on the people who are at right. death's door and it's the last ditch. Right. Uh, and that's what was done initially. It was used in mild to moderate dementia and it was useless, these anti-amyloid strategies. And we learned this over the last 15, 20 years. We were, I was personally involved in some of that research. But uh, now we're moving back to earlier disease, treating people with mild cognitive impairment and treating people who just have amyloid in their brain but no symptoms. Hmm. And we're hopeful that it will work. It's similar to statins. Most people have heard of statin drugs to lower cholesterol. Yep. If you give them to someone when they're in their 40s and 50s, it may have a dramatic effect as to whether they develop a heart attack or a stroke later in life. If you've given it after they've had a couple of heart attacks or strokes, the benefit in preventing another one is fairly minimal. And yep. so it's similar to that. And if you had looked at the original statin research, it would have looked just as dismal as the current Alzheimer's research. That may be the case, and that's why most of us in the field are guardedly optimistic that we're on the right path and that we're at least testing the hypothesis in the right patient group now, people who have milder disease or pre-disease, not pre-disease, but pre-symptoms. And if it works with these studies, which will take a good six to eight years to complete because it takes that long to recruit, and that's one pitch I want to give right now is if you have yeah. mild cognitive impairment, get yourself into a drug trial. Well, how would they, how would they get into yours? Because you're, you're involved in one right now, right? I'm involved in many of them. In many of them. Uh, we, uh, these are all FDA trials. Uh, um, they're sponsored by the drug companies, but they're FDA-sanctioned trials. Most of them are international. We're one of a couple of hundred sites around the planet. They're incredibly um, uh, complex in the way they're done, highly regulated. Uh, and it's a chance to do something either for yourself or for the next person in your family or somebody that you know that might have it. So how, hopefully how, it will help. If you want to, you can call our office, um, and um, I'm in the phone book. It's Dr. Donald Marks in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And uh, we're involved in a number of trials, and depending on what level you of disease you have will help to determine which trial, what your other medical conditions are. So it's not like I can say call for this particular trial. It's dependent on an analysis of what your situation is. Great. People, please volunteer, call in, because you could not only be helping yourself, but the next generation, and that's really part of what we're looking at. And that's a Dr. Donald Marks, M-A-R-K-S, in Plymouth. Right. It's not X. I'm not a communist or a communist. <laughs> I just wanted to, I, that's right. why I wanted to spell it out for people, all right? Um, boy, there's just, there's just so much more that, that we can talk about. Yeah, this, sure. But what's, what's the takeaway? What's the small change that can have a big effect? What do you think? Getting, getting treatment early. Getting yeah. assessed early. Yeah. Utilizing the resources. Utilizing the resources. Remember, small changes can have big effects. You don't need to change everything. That's one of the first rules of the I am approach. So make a small change today. If you think that you may be more forgetful than you'd like to be, what's it going to hurt to get your primary care involved and just get a test? It's not going to hurt, but it could, it could save you and your family so much tragedy. It's not going to prevent it. And Dr. Marx has been clear. There is no cure. But we can certainly do something to perhaps at least make our memories a little brighter for the future. So, folks, this has been a great show. Thank you so much to our guests for Thank coming you. in tonight. Really appreciate it. It's a Dr. Joe show. We'll speak with you next week. Bye, Mark. Bye, Dr. Joe. Yeah.